So as you well know, Pastor Oscar has been on vacation for a couple of weeks. He should be back uh, middle of this week on Wednesday. Um, I was telling someone this morning I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up at our staff meeting on Tuesday and comes back a day early. But uh, he's been able to get away and spend a little bit of time on the beach. Um, when I talked to him this last week, he was heading up to the mountains and to go hiking. So that's how he relaxes. He spells the word biking with an H, and it's hiking. Now, I haven't heard anything from him since, so he may be still up there in Angeles Crest somewhere. I don't know. But uh, continue to pray for him as he returns and is energized to kind of get back, get back at it. Lord, we come this morning uh, into this important portion of Scripture. We come this morning with open hearts to, to hear what you have for us. We come this morning with the expectation that your Holy Spirit is the voice that we'll hear. And so, Lord, thank you that we have a confidence that you're here with us in this very room. That we have a confidence that uh, you love us, you care for us, you want the very best for us. And uh, we rejoice in the reminders this morning that, yes, you can. Whatever it is, you can handle it. And so, Lord, we just want to commit this uh, time together in Jesus' name. Amen. The number one question that I've been asked over the last 50 plus years as a pastor is the very simple question, how can I know God's will? Have you ever wondered that? You ever asked that question? Somebody just put your hand up halfway if that thought's ever crossed your mind. Okay, there we go. That's better. Most of us, um, as Christ followers, want to know what God's will, what his plan is, what he desires for us. I, I think that's a common ambition, right? This also is a common concern for James as he continues his letter to these Jewish believers. He's concerned that they understand about the importance of pursuing God's will in their lives. And so if you remember, he's writing to these Jewish believers who under persecution have fled from Jerusalem. They're refugees. They're not at home. They've left family. They've left friends. They've left jobs. And they're in total new area, but still, as we've discovered in these chapters, they're still experiencing suffering. They're still experiencing the the stress and strain of relocation. And that could explain in part why James has had to talk to them about um, favoritism in their gatherings. He's had to talk to them about the quarrels and fightings that are going on. He's had to talk to them about the way they talk to each other. Don't speak evil against one another, right? We talked about that last week. And so in the the midst of all this, James wants to elevate for them the importance of knowing and doing God's will. And if you think of the big picture in the book of James, you always want to remember that James' concern is he wants people to have a true, genuine, living faith in God. And so he is laying out, if you will, kind of tests. How do you know that your faith is genuine? And so James has been laying this out as we've progressed through these first four chapters. And so today, what I want you to understand is that a person with genuine, true, living faith knows and does the will of God. So come with me to the end of James chapter 4. We're going to wrap up this chapter and... um, See again what James has for us. In verse 13, verses 13 through 17, James writes these words. 
Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Knowing and doing the will of God. On a scale of 1 to 10, how important is that? Pretty important. Very important. And especially important not only to James, but if, if you were to start reading in your Bible in the book of Genesis or read all the way through Revelation, you're going to find repeated over and over and over again. God's admonition, if you will, that we know and do His will. So, for example, just a few verses that, uh, that I found that I want to share with you. Um, in Psalm 40, verse 8, David says, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Should that be the heart ambition of every single one of us? To delight to do God's will? Uh, in Psalm 143.10, David said, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Jesus said in Mark 3.35, Whoever does the will of God, he's my brother, my sister, my mother. The most intimate of relationships, more important than his physical mother and siblings, was those who do the will of God. Um, he said in John 7:17, 7, If anyone is willing to do his will, God's will, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. And then, of course, the classic passage in the, in the garden was Jesus' simple prayer. What was it? Not my will, but thine be done. And so God's will is a critical, critical issue in, in each of our lives, or at least it ought to be. And so James is outlining this morning for us three different ways that you and I can respond to God's will. Three different, I don't even want to use, I was going to say the word options, but three different ways that people typically respond to God's will. Some people ignore God's will. Some people deny or disobey God's will. And then thirdly, some people... Oh, thank you. Obey God's will. And so we want to look this morning at each of these three ways as, as James delineates this and helps us understand it. Some ignore, some deny or disobey, and some obey God's will. And so James suggests to these believers the, the foolishness of ignoring God's will in your life. To just kind of pretend it's not there. Just ignore it. And so, and so James has several issues that he puts on the table. Why is it foolish to ignore God's will? He says, first of all, it's foolish because of the complexity of life. Do you find life sometimes is kind of overwhelmingly complex? Overwhelmingly complicated? Uh, I think it was Chuck Swindoll I heard say one time, the problem with life is it's so daily. And, and, and that, just really, that just really speaks to me. Uh, my wife has a different way of expressing it. Uh, she frequently tells me, there's just so much going on. Do you ever encounter that in your life? 
And so James talks about the complexity of life. And, and he says it this way, which I find kind of fascinating. He says, um, come now, you who say... By the way, come now. We read those words in our English text and we just kind of buzz right by them because they're not that significant. But the audience that is listening to this and reading this, the readers that James is talking to, are all Jewish believers. So as Jewish believers, they would be very familiar with the Old Testament text, right? And the words, come now, were an often repeated phrase by the prophets. Indicated, pay attention, this is important, warning coming. (laughs) Come now. And so he says, come now, you who say, uh, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a city, spend a year there, engage in business, make a profit. And so here's how complex life is in that one sentence. These people were saying and were focused on when they were going to do what they were going to do. Uh, Today or tomorrow, they were focused on a place, such and such a city. They were focused on the timing of how long. We're going to spend a year there. They're focused on what the result's going to be. We're going to engage in business. We're going to make a profit. That word engage in business is a fascinating word in the original language. It would sound like this word in English, emporium. (laughs) When you hear the word emporium, what comes into your mind? Just a big place full of junk. A big place full of stuff. Lots of choices, lots of options. And so, the complexity of life for these people were all these decisions that had to be made. And who was making these decisions about where, when, how, and why, and all that? They're making these decisions on their own. There's no indication. Because that's what he says. Instead, you should say what? If the Lord wills. And so the complexity of life makes it foolish to ignore God's will. Then secondly, it's the uncertainty of life. Because their expression is, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a city, we're going to engage in business, we're going to make a profit. I don't know how you can be guaranteed you're going to make a profit. Can anyone guarantee me that my uh, IRAs are all going to come back in the next six months? Um, Please. Um, I I don't know how you deal with those envelopes that come in the mail with your quarterly statements about how your your IRAs doing or 401k or whatever. Um, I, I can't open them. They sit on the counter and I look at them and I, I, just, I just can't open them. And they'll sit there for four or five days. My wife will remind me, you know, it's there. The mail's here, you know. Finally, I'll open it up and, okay, could be worse. You know, we have no guarantees about tomorrow, right? No guarantees. And so James says it's foolish to ignore God's will because life is complicated. Complicated. I can't say the word complicated. It's so complicated. It's not, only uncompli- it's not only complicated, it's uncertain. There's no guarantees about tomorrow. Right? Can any of you guarantee that I'll wake up in the morning? Can you guarantee that you'll wake up in the morning? We, ha- we have no guarantees about tomorrow. And then James adds to this, not only is life complex and uncertain, life is what? Brief. And so he addresses the brevity of life. He says, you're you're like a fog. You're like a a mist. Imagine a cold morning where you walk outside and you exhale and this little 
this little mist leaves in. How long does it hang there in front of you? God, that, that's how you are. And if you were to do a study of the scriptures on this topic of the brevity of life, it's, I start to say it's shocking. That's probably not a good word to use about God's word, right? It's amazing. That's a better word. It's amazing how often the scriptures address the brevity of life. Job alone probably has a, a half a dozen, eight, ten metaphors about the brevity of life. Your life is like a passing shadow. It's here and then it's gone. Your life is like a weaver's shuttle, that beam that goes across as the, the weaving is taking place. He says it's like a ship, here and gone. Like an eagle pursuing prey. Gone. In a word, life is brief. And so how foolish is it to ignore God's will in our lives? Because life is complex, far more complex than we can handle. Life is uncertain. There's no guarantees. Life is brief. You know, some of us are in our 70s. A couple of us, a few of us are in our 80s. Um, That seems like a lot to us, right? The scripture says, you know, you might get 70 years or due to strength 80. And if you're over 80, you're like on overtime, right? I remember my friend Solomon, he passed away at 86, and, and he would tell me, he wanted me to come, and he was kind of getting a little, losing a little bit of his memory, and he had me come and help him with his, his uh, mail and paying his bills and taking his retirement checks to the bank and stuff like that. Tell, uh, trust me, if you want someone to help you with your finances, I'm the last guy on the planet you want to talk to. But Solomon trusted me, and uh, I'd go to his house, and we'd sit down and open his mail, and he'd have his bills. And he had this little check from the railroad in Texas when he'd been working there. He had a little check from a uh, company in Pomona where he'd worked for a number of years. Then, of course, he had his Social Security check. And we would open those up. All these people have been sending him money all these years, right? Retirement, pensions, and stuff. And he would look at me and he'd say, Brother Roy, I'm on overtime. But life is brief. Not only that, but there's a, there's a frailty to life. And, and James addresses this when he says, uh, you, you have this arrogant boasting. You boast arrogantly about what you're going to do. Now, how foolish is that? Complex, uncertain, brief. How foolish is it to boast about what you're going to do? That word boast is to, to speak loudly. And the word arrogance has the idea of, of a, a kind of wandering. Somewhere it's attached even to the word deception. It was a word that was applied to the, the traveling uh, charlatan salespeople that would move from town to town with a with a wagon full of phony <laughs> junk, making it for sale. And he says you, you have this empty arrogance that you boast. How foolish is that? Foolish to ignore God's will. And so James wants us to understand the folly of um, ignoring what he wants us to know. How often is it in your life that you include God in your decision-making process? 
How often is it in your life that as you're making decisions, be they small or large, that you're taking time to consult the Lord, to talk to Him? Or maybe to ask wisdom and counsel of others. How often is it that we ignore God's will? Many years ago, well, I guess it's not that many in the scope of time, <laughs> when I was pastoring in Rancho Cucamonga, I had a young couple in our church with two young boys, and uh, they had decided, uh, his, he got laid off in his job, was looking for a job, wasn't really happy with what had happened and trying to find a new job. And so they had come to the decision that they were going to relocate, leave California. Anyone ever thought about leaving California? No. Why would you leave California? Days like today, perfect biking weather, yet here I am. Um, so this couple went online. And there's a website, I checked it out last night, it shut down. But there was a website at this time called findyourspot.com. And what you would do, you'd go to findyourspot.com and you would answer about 50 questions. Do you want to live in a town with a college? Yes or no? Click. Do you want to live where you have all four seasons? And that confused me because my four seasons are football, basketball, baseball, and hockey. Um... And so if you want to live in a place with all four seasons, you don't want to live in Southern California. Um, It would ask, do you want to be um, a place where there's cultural things like orchestra and opera, symphony? And have all these 50 questions. And so Mark and Jennifer went to findyourspot.com and findyourspot.com told them, New Hampshire is where you need to be. New Hampshire? When they told me New Hampshire, I said, what? Nobody goes to New Hampshire. But they did. They packed up, left town, went to New Hampshire. And the whole time I'm thinking, so where in this process of findyourspot.com do you consult God? What does He want? What's His will? What does He wish for you? Now, as far as I know from everything I see on Facebook, they're happy in New Hampshire. Life has been good. It's not a crisis. But I've still puzzled over the years. How much was God involved in that process? And I think back even over my own life. I've I've made a lot of strategic decisions in my life, and you have too. Anybody ever bought a house? Did you talk to God about where you should live? Where you should settle down? Where you should be? My friend Tom Shea, he and his wife prayed about where God wanted them to buy a home. They were ready to buy a home. And um, they prayed about it. And they believed God wanted them to move to South Pomona. And I said to Tom, South Pomona? I, I, I might maybe live in North Pomona, the furthest north part of Pomona I could be in, but you want to live in South Pomona. Why do you want to do that? Well, Bree and I have talked about what God wants for us, where He wants us to be, and we believe that He wants us to live at the economic level of the lowest level in the city of Pomona so we can have an impact for the kingdom. This is the guy who owns his own business. He's, since I met him, now 
has started two airline companies. This guy is not poor, okay? But he believed God was sending him and his family to South Pomona. God would have to drag me kicking and screaming to South Pomona. But he's capable of doing that if he wants, right? God's fully capable. And so, ignoring God's will is foolish for at least those four reasons that I've suggested. The second thing that James addresses is not simply ignoring God's will, but denying or disobeying God's will. Knowing what you believe God wants you to do and then choosing not to do it. Why would somebody do that? Why would someone choose to disobey God? That's kind of a scary thing if you think about it. Any examples of anyone disobeying God in your Bible? Jonah comes to mind right away, right? I mean, who can miss him? God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, "Uh uh-huh, I'm going this way. And we'll talk about Jonah again in a few minutes. But there's at least, as I've thought about this, at least four reasons why it's kind of dangerous, beyond foolish, it's kind of dangerous to deny or disobey God's will in your life. Why do people do that? I think one of the reasons, and this whole passage that we've been reading in James chapter 4 speaks to this, I think one of the reasons is pride. Somehow in our minds, our brains, our thinking process, we kind of think we know better. I don't know if you've ever been guilty of that. I think I have a time or two. We kind of think we know better. It's, it's kind of like the GPS when I'm getting directions to go somewhere. I'm sure none of you do this. But my GPS will say, uh, turn left, and I'll go straight. My GPS will say, turn right, and I'll go left. And my wife will say, why do you use the GPS if you don't do what it tells you to do? And I usually respond and say, I have local knowledge. I know that if I make that left turn, there's an elementary school down there, and it just happens to be 2.30, I'm not going to go do bumper-to-bumper combat with all those soccer moms. Not happening. We went to our grandson's uh, baseball game a week ago, on Saturday a week ago, and I was headed home, and I, I needed to go west and north. And my GPS kept telling me, turn south, turn south, turn south. And I ignored the GPS and went north until the road was blocked and I couldn't go north anymore and had to go now back east, further away from where I wanted to go before. Why do we do that when God's telling us what to do? Why do we do that? We think we know better? And so James has been talking to these people about humility. This whole whole chapter 4, you know, resist the devil, submit to God, humble yourself, he'll exalt you. Uh, His whole thought process has been you're you're prideful and you're selfish you need to humble yourself and now he comes into this context hey we're going to go to such and such a city we're going to conduct business make a profit you know time out how come you don't ask the question if god wills what god wants i think pride gets in the way a second thing i think that happens to us with god's will is we're ignorant 
don't know if that's willfully ignorant, forgetfully, forgetfully ignorant, but we're ignorant of the nature of God's will. Do, are we really free to choose to do what God wants us to do or not? I mean, ultimately, really, truly? I mean, you can try like Jonah did, right? And then there's the, the mindset that some people think that God's will is going to lead them down a path of misery. If, if I submit myself to the Lord, He'll send me to Africa. How awful could that be? People that are really laughing know I'm going to be in Africa next week. Um, but sometimes we have this idea that God's will is not for our good, not for our best, not to bless us. Somehow we get this idea that if, if I submit myself to God's will, who knows what awful thing might happen to me. Does God operate that way? Something else that occurs to me as I think about denying or disobeying God's will is there's this theme in Scripture where God tells us that disobedience often leads to times of chastening in our lives. And in fact, in the book of Proverbs, it says, um, don't despise the chastening of the Lord because he chastens you like a loving father to a son. But still, the chastening takes place, right? Any of you ever experienced chastening as a child? You ever get a wooden spoon across your backside? Huh? My, my mom bro- Did your mom ever break the spoon like mine did? Huh? Oh, my dad used the belt. Yeah. I know that's not a popular theme in today's world, but that's how it was in the 50s, right? But, but God... God tells us He loves us too much to let us wander too far. Did Jonah experience that? <laughs> you know? Jonah said, you want me to go that way? Uh-uh, I'm not doing that. I'm going this way. And he wound up in the belly of the great fish, right? And then vomited up on the beach. How exciting a trip could that have been? Another thing that I think of when I think of disobeying or denying God's will is the Scripture talks about future rewards for those who live their lives in God's will and obey Him. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul uses the analogy of uh, competing in the Olympic Games and running the races of the Olympic Games. And those, those who run lawfully are rewarded. And those who run unlawfully, what happens to them? Disqualified. Or as my translation, that Roy's translation says, you get benched. You get benched. And one of the things I hated the most in my brief career as an athlete in high school, I hated the most was when the coach called me off the court and put my little rear end on the bench. I don't need to rest. I'm good to go. Let me play. No, you come and sit for a few minutes. Okay. And so Paul says, or James says, Don't ignore God's will. Don't deny God's will or disobey God. But what you really need to be doing in your life is what? Obey. We need to be obeying God. And so, this is the right response. 
And so in my notes, I wrote to myself, I need to know God's will. I need to understand His will. And I need to do what I know His will to be. Question. Does God want you to know His will? Yes or no? Yes. Does God want you to understand His will? Yes. Does God want you to do His will? Yes. So where's the problem? Not on God's end, right? The problem's where? My end. Am I... Am I in communication with the God of the universe who created me, who loves me, who wants to guide and lead my life. He wants to lead me and He wants to lead you more than I want to follow, more than you want to follow, right? And so He wants me to know His will. And, and Jesus said, verse I read earlier in John uh, 7, if anyone wishes to do His will, he'll know the truth whether I speak of myself or, or not. So, from that simple statement of Jesus, it appears, if I come to God with the ambition and desire to obey Him and do what He says, He'll do what? He'll make known to me what He wants me to do. Paul prayed for the Ephesians, and he says, I'm I'm praying that you will understand God's will. That you'll be able to grasp the significance of what God is up to. God wants that in my life and in your life, to know and to do His will. The challenge is with us. And so as I look at Scripture, and as I look at what James is writing here, when I come with the expectation and the intention and the ambition to do what God wants me to do, Now, the ball is in whose court? My court or God's court? God's court. Here I am. Lord, whatever it is, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, here I am. I remember years ago, maybe a foolish thing to do, or at least I've wondered about it several times since. But there was a time in my life when God and I were in this conversation about His will and His plans for me and what He wanted me to do. And, and I told the Lord, I will never say no. I will never say no to an opportunity to serve you. I'll never say no. Well, I've had to say no a few times because it just didn't fit and work for a lot of reasons. That might have been a foolish promise. But... My expectation has been that God's going to direct my steps by giving me opportunities. Am I open to that? Am I open to doing that? You know, a lot of illustrations come to my mind. I could probably tell stories all morning long. But I got a phone call, um, I don't know, end of July, 1st of August, from a family up in Sacramento. And as most of you know, I pastored our church up in Sacramento back in the early 80s. And uh, two sons from one of the families that was there 40 years ago, they're all now, you know, older guys. They were pre-junior high or junior high at that time. 
And their dad had passed away, and they called me and wanted me to come up and do dad's funeral. And as I was asking questions, I found out that the service was going to be at the National Cemetery. Well, not my first rodeo. So I instantly knew that I was going to drive from Laverne to Sacramento for seven plus hours and seven plus hours home for a service that was going to probably last 15 minutes. And so I'm pondering whether to do this or not. Lord, is this really something you want me to do? I love Sacramento. It's a beautiful place. I love living there, but... And so my wife says, well, why not? Let's go. Don't, don't let her know I told you this, but I, I had been trying for almost three months to get her to go out of town with me just to get away, do something, take a break. Let's go to San Diego. Let's go up the coast. No, 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 no. Now we're ready to go to Sacramento for a 15-minute service, and she's all excited to go. And so I thought, well, Lord, it's a twofer. (laughs) I can go serve this family. I could share in their lives in a fresh way after 40 years. And my wife's wanting to go out of town. So, Lord, what do you really want? He wants us to know and do His will is what He wants. And He wants us to know and do His will more than we want to know and do His will. And so, there's statements in Scripture, by the way, that tell us exactly what God's will is. If you were to take a concordance or search one of those search things in the app on your phone or your tablet this morning... And search for the phrase, either the will of God or God's will, something like that. Um, You'll find at least five places where God tells us exactly what His will is. And oftentimes my thought process is, if you don't do what God has already told you to do, why should He give you something else that you're asking Him for? If If God's telling you, here's five things I want you to do, and you're over here praying, Lord, show me your will about buying this house or whatever. Doesn't it make sense that I should be doing what I already know God's will to be? Does that make sense? And so, for example, in First Timothy 2, it says that God desires all men to be saved. That's God's heart. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So is it God's will for men and women, boys and girls, to be saved? Clearly. It is in the heart of God, it is in the desire of God, for people to come into a meaningful relationship with their Heavenly Father through Jesus. To be reconciled from their separation from God, their distance from God, the fact that they've been enemies. He wants to reconcile them and bring them into harmony with himself through Jesus cross. So it's God's will that you would be saved first of all, right? There's a passage in uh Ooh, where is that passage? Ephesians 5 where Paul says, "Don't be foolish, but know what the will of the Lord is." 
Don't be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. So instead of having your life dominated, controlled, and influenced by alcohol, what should control and dominate and influence your life? God's Spirit. So not only does God want you to be saved, He wants you to be (laughs) Spirit-filled. That God's Spirit would be in control in your life and my life. There's another passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 where Paul says, This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And so God's will is for us to be sanctified. What's that mean? Well, my wife and I had this conversation Wednesday or Thursday night, I forget. We were laying in bed and she had been reading the devotional by Oswald Chambers, uh, My Utmost for His Highest, and wanted to ask me about sanctification. Now, I don't know what happens in your house, pillow talk at bedtime, but talking about sanctification isn't on the top of my list of things that are you know, really priority. Um, and so we talked about, so what is this sanctification thing? Well, that word means to be separate or to be set apart. To be set apart from sin, set apart to God. Sanctified. Sanctification is the process that God's up to in my life and in your life, making us more like Jesus. We're becoming more holy, more godly, if you will. And so Paul says, that's God's will for you. That you'd be set apart from sin toward God. And then... There's a fascinating passage in 1 Peter 2 where... I don't have that one memorized. I've got to look at that one. Where'd it go? Um, he says in 1 Peter 2, Such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And this is in a context where, Paul, where Peter is talking about being submissive to the government. Being submissive. Uh, he talks about parents and children. talks about slaves and masters, employees, employers, if you will. And, and in, that, in that whole context, he says, this is the will of God. That you um, are submissive and uh, that you are you're doing the right thing. And then in 1 Peter 3, he says, It is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing right rather than for doing wrong. How many of you are excited to know that it's God's will for you to suffer? Yeah, me neither. But God's plan in the course of life, in the struggles of life, in the challenges of life, that if you do suffer, suffer for doing the right thing instead of doing something that's wrong, that's bad, that's immoral. And so God says, these are are things that are clearly my will for you. Couldn't be more clear, couldn't be more specific. And... um, As I said, my thought process is, so if I'm doing what I already know God's will to be, then in my relationship with God, in my communication with Him, can I ask Him for the next steps, the next things that that He's after in my life? To me, me that logically follows. Um, Where do I want to go? (laughs) I remember, this goes back to Sacramento too. I had a young couple that were coming to church periodically. The guy's older brother was my choir director. And so uh, this 
couple came to church once a month, every six weeks. They would pop out, come and go, come and go. And uh, <clears throat> they called one day and they wanted to come to me for counseling. And so they came into the office and we sat down to talk. And the guy was trying to figure out what to do with his life. They weren't married. We're living together. And he was trying to decide, should I go to college? Should I join the army? I assume kind of extreme two differences, right? And, uh, but they had questions about God's will and how to know what to do and whatever. And I, one of those few times in my life where the Lord has emboldened me, because I'm, I'm not usually confrontational. I tend to, I don't like confrontation. Anyone, anyone like confrontation? Some of you do confrontation really well. I don't. But uh, they were trying to make this decision, trying to figure out what God wanted them to do. And I said to them, well, you know, I'm not sure why you should expect God to show you the next steps in your future when you currently are not doing what you already know He wants you to do. And they were puzzled by that. And I said, well... You and I both know Scripture is pretty clear when it talks about God's will regarding our relationships between men and women, sex in marriage versus sex outside of marriage, your choice to live together and not be married, and you're not doing what you already know God wants you to do, but you want... Anyway, I was very emboldened. I don't have those kind of conversations very often. And, uh, yeah, they weren't happy with me that day either. Um, but God has told us what He wants, what His will is. And, and the question for me and the question for you is, am I willing to do it? And that's kind of the bottom line. Oh. So how, how, how are you at including God in your plans? How are you at exploring the if God wills thing in your life? Almost every Sunday afternoon... Um, after church, uh, Victor and I will be talking, and uh, he'll head to his car, and I'll be getting ready to leave. And I, I said, I'll see you Tuesday night. And every time I say that to Victor, he responds with a simple statement, if God wills. And that, to me, that's, that's, that's been a weekly reminder you know, it's, it's all about if God wills. So how, how well do you do at uh, including God in your plans? When you make practical decisions about things like education, job, moving, investments, spending money, purchasing, do you make all of those decisions without asking God what His wish and will and plan is? Do you, do you include Him? in those kind of decisions. Um, when we purchase a home, do we ask God where He wants us to be? My friend Tom did that. South Pomona. If the Lord wills. If you were convinced that God wanted to move you to South Pomona, would you also have the ability to believe that God has the ability to guard and protect your family in South Pomona? Absolutely. Not my choice of a place to live, but uh, Tom's still there after these many years. Choosing to live at a 
level of what most of us would consider kind of right at the poverty line. To have influence for the kingdom. That, that, that matters. Oh, do we see our work and our careers only as ways to make money rather than seeking God's purpose and where He has placed us? You know, I have this very strong conviction that God places each one of us exactly where He wants us. And if, if you're working in a, in a hospital tomorrow, you're where God wants you, and He wants you there for a bigger reason than the paycheck you're going to get on Friday. If, if you're working in, in, uh, over at Cerritos College, maybe, at least one of you works there, you know, God has you in that place for a purpose, right? Not just to deal with IT issues and IT problems and, and to please people with the service you provide. God has you there to advance the kingdom. God has you exactly where He wants you. And so I just wonder, do, do we think that way about where, where we are? I, I'm, God has a plan and a purpose for me here. Um, do we include God in our plans when we talk about retirement plans? I've tried to retire three times. What are you doing to me? You know, if I was retired, I could be out riding my bike on a beautiful Sunday morning. Who would know? You know, it, it, I, when I think about it, it's so funny. And I've told you this story before, but um, I had this deep ambition to ride my bicycle across country. And I wanted to pair it together as a fundraising effort to raise money for my friend Jim Hawking and his ministry, Water for Good, in Africa. And this was a phenomenal plan that Roy had. The elders at the Rancho Cucamonga Church said, well, how long will it take you to do that? And I said, three months. Well, you can't be gone for three months. Okay. So finally, I decided I'm going to retire so I can ride my bike across country. And that's what I did. And I got on my bicycle, dipped the wheel in the Atlantic Ocean, and headed toward Oregon. And as you well know, nine days later, I wound up in the emergency room in Roanoke, Virginia. Three days later, I was back home in Laverne. Now what? Now, this is the result of now what? I started preaching in June, and Rick came in October, and we just had a great time for a year and a half, and then he left, and here I am. Now Oscar's here, and he won't let me leave either. But we, we, we do this. We plan without, without asking God. And even when you do ask God, sometimes He changes the plan. Anyone ever had God change your plan? I have two words for you. Roanoke, Virginia. You know, I had full confidence that I was doing what God wanted me to do. It had been in my heart for a long time. God had another plan. His other plan was Norwalk. You've probably noticed, as I have, it's a lot easier to turn the steering wheel in your car when the car's moving rather than when it's sitting still. You ever notice that? And so the way that I've kind of approached it with God is, I'm going this way. I think this is what you want me to do. I'm in motion, and you can change it if you want. He does that more than once in my life. 
more than once. But we have that problem of we anticipate retirement. We've been looking forward to it. We've got plans and dreams. And where's God fit into that? Where does God fit into that? Um, do you include God in your plans? I think sometimes, I think sometimes we think, well, the big stuff matters to God. He, he cares that I'm going to get a new job. I'm looking for a new job. Or he cares about the big stuff. But the, the little stuff, you know, he's, he's not that concerned about. He he's probably doesn't care where I eat lunch today. I mean, that's a decision I can probably handle on my own, right? But I've discovered even with some of those little decisions, God's still in it. Have you ever just, for example, gone to eat somewhere kind of on a whim where would you like to go to dinner let's go here let's go there and you wind up at a place that you probably weren't planning to go to two hours before that and God gives you an opportunity while you're at that restaurant to share Jesus' love and, and care in the context of that event God has a way of managing all that and I, I don't get it all but oh let's finish how do you include God in your plans Prayer, scripture, wise counsel, wise counsel, people in your life that God's placed in your life. I've been privileged to have many mentors in my life, wise men that I could seek wisdom and guidance from. Um, the scriptures are so important. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 has been a guiding passage in my life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't. Lean on your own understanding. Use your understanding. God gave you a brain for a reason, right? But don't lean on it. Don't trust it. Don't rely on it. Trust the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And I like to paraphrase that. In all your ways, be knowing Him. Because it's all about your relationship with your Heavenly Father. The better you know Him, the more you trust Him, which is the whole point of the passage. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Get to know Him better. And it's easier to trust Him and not trust yourself. And when I trust the Lord with all my heart, not leaning on my own understanding, in all my ways getting to know Him better, then His promise is what? He will direct your steps. To know and do God's will is a mark of a genuine Christian. So, let me finish with this. Do you, are you, including God in your plans? If not, why not? Is it like me responding to the GPS? I know better. Um, can you say with Jesus today, not my will, but yours be done? By the way, that's the prayer that never fails. Never fails. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Never fails. So often we come to God with, with an agenda of what we want. And God says, can, can you just kind of set that agenda aside for a moment and refocus on what I want? Not my will, but yours be done. 
It's been kind of fun with our vision team as we've been praying and planning and anticipating the future and talking together about what we believe God wants to do. One of the challenges is that we've, we've kind of keep putting on the table is don't come to our meetings with an agenda. Don't come with your plans for the church. Come with a heart that says, Lord, what is your plan for our church? What is your plan for our future? And that is so hard to do. So hard to do. I've been working on a one-page document of all the great stuff I think we should do. And I'm going, ah. what, what, what is God's will? What is his plan? Some of you are very familiar with the words of the old hymn. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter. I'm the clay. So who's in charge of this? The potter or the clay? Yeah, the potter's in charge. You're the potter. I'm the clay. Mold me and make me after your will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. And that, the still thing is the thing I have trouble with in my life. Because I want to get going. Let's do it. You know, well, time out. Stop. Be still. And ask yourself the question. If the Lord wills. Lord, make that our heart's desire this morning. As we anticipate our, our future as we look even to the past. And Lord, for some of us, we look to our past and we realize that we've made mistakes. We look to the past. We realize we haven't always sought your will. And I'm just so grateful for your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness. And I pray that in this moment of time, we might turn our back on the past and look to the future and embrace the, the reminder of James. <laughs> Life is complex. Life is uncertain. Life is brief. And as uncertain as things look to me, things are always certain to you. There's no mystery to you. And so, Lord, open our hearts afresh to your will, your plan, your direction. Lord, guard us from just charging off in the direction we want to go without giving you a thought. Or worse yet, like Jonah, charging off in the opposite direction of what we know you want us to do. Might we be like Jesus who, who said, my, my meat is to do the will of my Father. Lord, make that our, our heart's desire as well. We want to be men and women committed to knowing and doing your will. Because our faith is real. Our faith is true. Our faith is genuine. We want to know and do your will. Help us to do that by the power of your spirit, through the instruction of your word. Help us to do that. It's our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen.